we were all stunned this past weekend and what happened in Paris, France. It was there 9-11. Where she had Islamic militants who attacked six different sites. Sites that were frequented by the young people, not the tourists, but the young people of France to send a message to them to spread terror. Of course, you had the concert hall where an American rock band was playing and a couple guys came in and they just started to riddle the place with bullets, killing people, maiming people, injuring people. In fact, as you heard the testimonies, uh, they said that they would wait until they had to reload and they would move a little farther to get out of danger. How horrific would that type of memory be? And eventually took hostages and 89 people died in that concert venue. And of course, you had other places where nightlife was going on, where, again, guns were fired and suicide vests went off. And the count yesterday, I think, was 130 would probably rise because a lot of people were injured. And we look at that situation. We say, that is just so horrible. That is so evil that there's this organization that wants us to do what they want to do. But if we don't, they'll kill us. That's true terror. And then we kind of think about it and say, why would God allow that? I mean, God is a good God. God is one who who truly loves each of us. I mean, why would he allow this type of thing to happen? And then you're looking at the news all week long, and you've got murders and rapes and child abuse. And again, you say, God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? And then in your own personal life, you have friends, you have family members, are struggling and yourself you're suffering in some way there'd be emotional suffering physical suffering relational suffering yeah life is very hard in fact George Barna did a poll and ask people, what is the one question you would ask God? You know what the number one answer was? Why do you allow suffering? It's on everybody's mind. And that's what we're going to look into this week as we continue in our series, The Case of Faith. Last week, how do you know there's a God? Today, why does God allow suffering? Third, uh, how do you know Jesus Christ is the only way? The world is very universalistic, thinking, oh, there's all kinds of ways to God. (laughs) Jesus Christ said there's one way, and that's through me. And how can you trust the Bible? How can you trust the Bible? We're basing this series on our memory verse uh, for this month, 
That's 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet you do it with gentleness and respect. So you're going to run into people that you want to tell about the good news of Jesus Christ, but they might have some of these questions. So we're a disciple-making family, right? We're helping each other grow in our relationship with God. And so we want to take this series to teach you what the Bible has to say and what you can say to your friends as they respond. You don't have to be an expert. You can just use a couple of the arguments. And then you can say send some more articles, things of that nature. In fact, uh, in our churchwide email, uh, we have a link to the messages. Uh, the message from last week was in last week's email. And, or you can just go to the website and get the URL and send it to somebody. I mean, for example, somebody, somebody asked one of these questions. You can say, you know, my pastor did a message on that. You know, I'd love to send it to you. We want to use this as a way to be able to defend our God and encourage people to become Christ followers. Also, you might be here today. And you're wondering about these questions. So hopefully uh, you'll be able to understand a little more about God's design of the world. We look in, or excuse me, I I was talking with uh, Chris Llewellyn, who is a guy here in our church, and just asked him how he was doing, and he said he was having some uh, foot pain, that's been going on for a long time. And he said, you know what? I feel like Job. And we all felt like Job, right? Did you know that that was probably one of the first written books of the Bible? I mean, that happened back in the days of Abraham. Who knows exactly when? So why do you think that would be the first book? Well, it's because the toughest question that we have to answer for ourselves and others is why does God allow suffering? Why did Job have to suffer? Well, in order to address this question, uh, we need to go back to the beginning. The beginning in the Garden of Eden. So you imagine the Garden of Eden. Everybody has kind of a different concept of it. And, you know, I personally would not want to hang out in a garden, <laughs> a conservatory. But, of course, the beautiful thing is that God was there. And, again, just like heaven, we cannot understand how fantastic the Garden of Eden was. I mean, for you organic people, you would just go nuts. I mean, mercy, mercy, everything just falling off of the trees. It's free, okay? <laughs> it was just a fantastic place. And we'll learn more about in the future. But they were in this garden. They had everything that they needed. I mean, life was perfect. And they had a relationship with God on a daily basis. Well, God wanted to give them a choice because he didn't want them to be programmed to say, I love you, God, I love you. He wanted them to make a choice. 
He wanted to make them a choice to obey him, to show love, or to disobey him and not show him love. So he put one tree in there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you've got hundreds of trees here. You've got all kinds of, you've got an ultimate zoo going on, right? But you just don't, don't eat from that one tree. What they do? They ate from the tree. They chose to disobey God. They chose to say, God, you know, we don't need you. We want to be like you. That's what the serpent was saying. And that ruined the world. That decision we are still feeling the impact from. Because at that point, they were kicked out of the garden because they didn't want them eating from the tree of life and live forever on this earth. And everything changed because they had sinned. And because they sinned, when we were conceived as children, we are born with a, a sinful bent, a sinful orientation, or a sinful nature. That's just the kind of way we're wired. So we're born sinful. And that, of course, is a reason for a lot of the problems on our earth, is that we are sinful. It's called moral evil. There's moral evil, and then there's natural evil. So we all have a choice. We have free will that we can do what we want to do. We can choose to obey God or not to obey Him. Do it our way or do it God's way. And when we do it our way, it's going to create pain in our own lives and pain in other people's lives. So this can be something as simple as hating someone in your mind. You can't stand that person. You just have all kinds of plans for that person. Okay, that's a sin that's going on in your head. So it also can apply to a group of people like the Islamic militants uh, who are uh, going around creating terror, saying, hey, you have to be like us or you're going to be dead. It's an ideology that they're forcing other people, and people are suffering, people are dying. But it's because of our sin to disobey God. And you might say, okay, well, what about hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes, that kind of thing? We don't cause that. Well, at the fall, which they call it, when Adam and Eve sin. God cursed the world. That was part of the consequence. He cursed the world so the whole structure of the earth was no longer perfect. Earthquakes and all types of things. And, And then the weather patterns were thrown off, and that's why you have these killer storms. It was a result of them choosing their own way instead of God's way. And that, again, has just followed us throughout the years. And we see it everywhere. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We look at that verse and we say, yeah, I can think of some people like that. They are deceitful, despicable, and sick. Well, that's not the purpose of the verse. 
The first of the verse is to look inside and realize that that is our heart, our sinful orientation. And it's amazing what we'll do. We get in the right situation and Satan's tempting us. We do have very sick hearts. That's who we are. Because we are sinners. That's the moral, again, argument about evil. Now, it's very important in all this to understand that God did not create evil. That's where we have to start. James 1.13 Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. He tempts no one. Again, it's our choice. He gives us a potential to make the wrong decision. And of course, that's what led to all these challenges. Genesis 3, 17. And Adam, God said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit when I told you not to, I have placed a curse upon the soil. All your life you will struggle to extract a living from it. And he cursed the world. And the soil used to be like Jack and the Beanstalk soil, you know, you put the seed in there and whoa, no longer. If you've gardened or been on a farm, you know how hard it is to get things to grow. It's also true of our work. Work is just so demanding and stressful. Why? Because it's a bunch of sinners working together. <laughs> they might be a Christ follower. But you still have that sinful bent. And, and of course, that what creates all the politics and all those different types of things that happen in an office that can be so uh, very painful. So we need to realize uh, the extent of this. Now, when we talk about uh, justice, justice, we look at Hebrews 9.27. I'm sorry, I have to go back. Let's look at uh, Romans 8, 22. Uh, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So creation, obviously, was affected by this. And it's like the pains of childbirth. They're waiting for God to come back and redeem redemption. Uh, excuse me, redeem uh, the earth. And someday there will be a new earth and a new heaven, and we can look forward to that. So God did not create suffering. It was because of Adam and Eve's choice. And if you're thinking, well, Adam and Eve, they just really messed things up. Uh, put yourself in the same situation. <laughs> I think uh, you might understand what you might do in that situation. But again, God uses our suffering. That's the good news. We go through it, but God uses it to change us. And we had a great time going through the book of James, studying that this year. So we'll just quickly revisit it. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, and not lacking anything. 
So again, God allows trials into our life, and sometimes we bring them in on our own, by our own decisions. But he says that he can take anything, any type of trial, and make us stronger. Remember, in the book of James, it was a series of tests. You've got the speech test. You've got the obedience test. You have the favoritism test. You have the prayer test. How are you going to respond? Are you really going to do the Word of God? Or are you just going to say, well, those are good concepts, but I'm not going for that. You see, God keeps sending tests into our lives in order for us to mature. If we respond in the right way, you you can become bitter or better when something comes your way. Well, you want to become better. You want to use that pain in order to glorify God, bless others, and see yourself grow. And what does it result in? And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Not that you're perfect, but that you are mature in Christ. And that takes a long time to become mature in Christ. It's a lifelong journey, but it's an exciting journey to see how God changes you and transforms you as the different issues you run into life and through the support of other Christ followers and the Bible. There's no other way to live. Now you might be thinking, now wait a second, what about these ISIS terrorists? Where is a justice going to be for them? Well, in Hebrews 9.27 it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that to face judgment. So, uh, they have died, and one day everyone will stand before God individually and have to give account for our lives. Now, those of us who are Christ followers, we'll have to give an account of what we did with the resources God gave us, but we're still going to heaven. It's going to be great and all that kind of stuff. But for people who have not yet claimed the gift that God wants to give through Jesus Christ, they're going to face a different judgment where God is going to judge their works So these suicide bombers are going to stand before God. And uh, I don't believe any of them are Christ followers. So they will have to pay eternally for what they did. And a lot of people don't realize there are different degrees of suffering in hell. So these particular guys are going to a deeper place. They're not going to paradise, I'll tell you that. Uh, And you think of Hitler. Lower. Stalin and that kind of thing. So, again, if we're not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and his salvation, uh, we'll have to face the judgment. And, of course, it will not be good because we'll have to spend eternity from God in suffering. So there is going to be a judge. It's not going to be the U.S. Supreme Court. Again, they're not perfect. But God is the perfect, righteous, holy judge. So if you have any issues with anybody you want to get revenge with, the Bible says do not take revenge. Leave that up to God. Now, who do you think can better deal with it, you or God? (laughs) Well, God can. So we need to let go of it just 
as uh, God has let go of our sins. I want to talk to you about uh, the most important thing. Well, there's really two things. That if you're suffering today or someone's suffering uh, in your life, there's two things that can bring comfort. The first thing is that you're going through the suffering with God who loves you and cares about you. In fact, if you could go to the end of uh, the slides there, I think you'll find First uh, Peter 5, 7 and Psalm uh, 34. There we go. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. I, I mean, as a pastor, I was thinking about this the other day. <laughs> I hear about so much pain in people's lives. And it can become overwhelming at times. And a man come up during our prayer time this morning and said that uh, his daughter was dying at the age of 43. And, uh, what? What a trial to walk through. But God has promised that we can cast our anxieties upon Him. And then in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You know, suffering comes on both... Uh, Christ followers and unbelievers. But the difference is, is that as we go through suffering, it can draw us closer to God, give us a better understanding of life, help us to glorify Him more than we ever could if everything was going well, because other people will see our suffering and how we're handling it and say, wow, that's, a, that's really unique. It's unique because that person has a relationship uh, with God. So that's the first thing, is that God carries us through our problems and He comforts us and give us, gives us grace. The second thing is that you need to have an eternal perspective. We talk a lot about this in our family, but it is so critical that you understand that you're going to heaven and eventually the new earth, the new heavens. And that's where you're going to spend eternity. And people always thinking, well, you know, I, I'm not really excited about heaven. You know, I don't know how to play the harp. I really don't like the harp. You know, and I, I don't want to be singing all day. I can't hardly stand singing here for 20 minutes. And you know, I'm, I'm only wants to hear my voice. And ah, I'm going to be bored silly there. Really, people think that. They do. But it is wrong. It is false. They have not studied the Word of God because heaven is going to be a fantastic place. Unbelievable. God is going to take away all the pain, all the suffering. We just won't be sitting around. We'll be worshiping Him, obviously, but we'll have jobs and responsibilities. Somewhat similar to this world. You know, we'll be just living each day but without sin. And every day is going to get better and better. Well, how can that be? Hey, God said it, man. <laughs> He's going to make it happen, right? <laughs> Think about this. Let's say that uh, January 1st coming up here, 
you have a really, really bad day. I mean, you go to your work and you are fired immediately for no reason. <laughs> That's hard. And then on the way home, you pull up your house and it's burning to the ground. Burning to the ground, all gone. And on top of that, the same day, somebody steals your identity and takes all your money. Now, I'd say that qualify as a really bad day. So let's say you talk to one of your friends in the evening, and you say, oh, you would not believe what happened to me today. It has been the worst day of my life, and you pour out your soul, and, and the friend says, I'll be praying for you. Now, on January 2nd, you have another day. But this day you wake up, and you get a call from a person who has your dream job. And they say, we want you to come and work for us. And you get to set the job description. Whatever you want to do. Whenever you want to do it. I mean, you got six months of vacation, right? Wow, what kind of job is that? And it pays unbelievably. And the insurance company comes back and says, hey, you know, we're going to give you enough money to build a house twice the size that you had. <laughs> That's good news, isn't it? And then you get a call from a foreign country. And uh, there's a guy in the line. He says, I'm the hacker who stole all your money, and I, I just want to apologize. I already realized that was wrong, so uh, I'm going to return all your money and even more, and I'm going to be your personal security assistant so this never happens again. That'd be a fantastic day. And let's just say on January 3rd, it gets better and better. Every day of that year gets better. And you go around and you come back to January 1st again, and your friend calls. and says, hey, how you doing, man? We talked last year, and oh, I tell you, your life was going terribly. And then you say to him, well, yeah, that was a bad day. And I don't want to minimize that at all. That was very painful. But I tell you what, every day since then has been fantastic. It gets better and better. And you know what? I can remember the pain, but again, it's far off because of all the goodness that's come into my life. Now that is a picture of eternity. That is one of the critical ways that we deal with suffering because we've just got this mentality that this is it. This is life. That's, of course, culture tells us, hey, live with gusto, make the most out of it because when it's done, it's done. And that ain't true. It's just beginning when it's done. And it's hard to think with that eternal perspective because we're so kind of drawn in by the things of this world and all of the things that seem to be important. But I would encourage you, especially if you're suffering, to go on the web and look for an article about heaven. And think about it. I know some of you younger people are saying, 
I don't want to wait that long. Come on. <laughs> and I understand you totally. But the most important perspective is that eternal perspective. Because whatever happens in this life, how difficult it might be, you realize that in 3,000 years, you'll remember it, but your life will be totally different because you will be living with the King. Amen? Amen. But you have to nurture this. You just can't say, oh yeah, it's cool about heaven. I mean, you really have to think about it on a daily basis, especially when problems come up. Oh man, that is terrible. And obviously you have to own the problem and feel and God's going to help you, but someday... We're going to be in heaven. We look at death. We're kind of fearful of death, right? Well, it's natural, but at the same time, what the Bible says is you're going to get an upgrade. <laughs> Not just the first class, <laughs> but God's class, right? And if we keep that in mind, it will help us to keep things in perspective. Maybe you're here today. And you're suffering. You're consumed by depression. You're consumed by a crisis going on in your life. And, and you don't really fully understand what it means to have a relationship with God. Well, let me give you a quick synopsis. Let me look at John 3.16. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. If you're here today and maybe grew up in a church where this wasn't emphasized a lot, God loves you. He's with you all the time. He's watching you. He wants a relationship with you. He collects your tears in a bottle. You are very important to Him. In fact, you're so important that he had to deal with this sin problem. So he sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth in order to live a perfect life, to fulfill the law, and then to die on a cross in order that he might bear all of our sins at one time, so that he could pay the penalty that we're supposed to pay. God's justice system has to be satisfied. Somebody has to pay the penalty. And so God sent his son down to pay the penalty. And then he rose again from the dead. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever, whoever believes in Christ's death and resurrection and the salvation that he offers will be satisfied, should not perish, but have eternal life. Not perish, not spend eternity without Christ, but have the eternal life that we were just referring to. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it talks about the fact that uh, we can't earn our way to God by going to church or being a good person. No, it's a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is a gift of God, not a result of works. So no one can boast. Now, many of you have grown up in churches where they said, well, yeah, you accept Jesus, but then you've got to keep up your end of the deal, and you kind of kind of keep your maintenance plan going there by uh, doing certain things. And if you don't do that, well, who knows if you go to heaven or not. No, no, no! If you come today and fall at the seat of the Savior and say, I am guilty, and I want that free gift of forgiveness, and I believe in you, and I want to commit my life to you, He will transform your life. He'll put a new nature, a new bent to want to serve Him. The Holy Spirit will come into you. And you can live the type of life that we've thought of and have that eternal perspective. Here's a prayer that just kind of sums up that decision of coming to the Lord. Heavenly Father, take all my life. I choose You. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, save me. Forgive me for all of my sins. I no longer depend on my good works for salvation. Make me brand new. My life, it's not my own. It now belongs to You. Thank You for new life. Renew my mind as I give You my life. All for You in Jesus' name, I pray. So if you understand those concepts as we've talked about them, and the Holy Spirit is saying, I mean, He's, he's got you. He's saying, okay, it's time. I want you. I want you to be a part of the family of God. Now is the time to make that decision. And you can do it right here. In fact, I'm going to bow our heads here. and uh, I'm going to read the prayer. And if you are at that point, you're ready to invite Christ into your life, you can say it silently. Heavenly Father, take all of my life. I choose you. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, save me. Forgive me for all of my sins. I no longer depend on my good works for salvation. Make me brand new. My life, it's not my own. It now belongs to you. Thank you for new life. Renew my mind as I give you my life. All for you, in Jesus' name I pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for those who have made that decision today, who have come into your family for Jesus Christ's sacrifice, and I'm so excited for them. I'm so excited for the future, and we as a church want to come alongside, and I pray that they would let us know that they've made this decision, uh, just by the communication card or letting us know today, because we want to uh, be able to come alongside them and help them as they move forward in this wonderful new life that you've entrusted uh, to them. Lord, thank you uh, for these principles we've learned today about moral evil and natural evil and the fact that uh, suffering is always going to be a part of this world. But someday we'll see you in heaven. We praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen.